Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. We were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. King Slime is a production of iHeart Podcasts and Heirloom Media. Volkan Tapali lives in Morningside, a quiet and affluent neighborhood that butts up against the Atlanta Botanical Garden. In May 2021, his wife sends him on an errand less than two miles away in Buckhead. It was the first day of really nice, warm weather. Um, it was the week after schools had let out. And, <clears throat> you know, my kids were driving me nuts at, at home. And my wife said, before you do something, you know, to, that you'll regret, why don't you go to Home Depot and get some potting soil? This Home Depot is part of a mixed-use development called Lindbergh. Next to the store's entrance is an apartment complex called the Peninsula, boasting a rooftop pool. And on this night... It's the place to be. A party invite on Instagram lures about 200 people to that rooftop. As I'm driving in, I mean, there are kids everywhere. They're, they're wearing bathing suits. They've got beach balls. They've got towels. Typically, this would be a rather wholesome sight in Atlanta. But again, this pool party is taking place in 2021. In Georgia, all adults ages 16 and up have just become eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. And I thought... Boy, I hope that somebody is watching out for these kids because there's a lot of young people here. And there was kind of pent up energy throughout, you know, the entire pandemic. People were stuck in their houses. They couldn't go out. And this was clearly like a, you know, we're free kind of a mentality. Tapali's in line in the Home Depot's garden center, potting soil in hand, when he hears some loud popping noises coming from outside the store. It's gunshots. Tapali waits until the gunfire dies down. Then he walks out into the parking lot and calls 911. Atlanta 911, emergency at 4708. What's the address of the emergency? Yeah, I'm at the Home Depot in Lindbergh, and there's gunfire here. Numerous young black males running through the uh, parking lot. The rooftop pool party has broken out into a fight, but Tapali doesn't know that. There was no security at the peninsula that was stopping anyone from going in. Pushing and shoving match between a couple guys, spills over into the lobby. That spilled over into the parking lot. They ran for their guns and their cars, started shooting at each other. Uh, I see four, four kids. I call them kids. They're probably in their uh, 20s. Just ran away from the parking lot of the Peninsula apartment building. Right at that time, it turns out that some of the young people that were running across the parking lot that were trying to get away from the initial gunfire were actually part of the altercation. Mm. And a car come blazing out of the garage at the peninsula and stops. And the shots, uh, I think, came from the parking garage that's there. 
I count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One of the guy in the passenger seat kicks the door open, pulls out a 45, and just starts firing randomly. There's more shots. It's out of a gun. It's out of a gun. Uh, out of a car. They start shooting back. I heard, like, two bullets whiz right past my ear, which is a very creepy sound. What kind of car is it? Polly watches as a bullet lodges itself in his forearm, shattering a bone. Back here in Georgia, a man says he was in the wrong place at the wrong time when he was shot outside a Home Depot. The shooting happened in Lindbergh. In this Fox 5 report, one of his first interviews about the incident, Tapali stresses that his story shouldn't alarm viewers. Tapali says although we are seeing a spike, crime is not where it once was 10 to 15 years ago. He, of all people, would know. I'm professor of criminal justice and criminology at the Andrew Young School of Policy Studies at Georgia State University. Tapali has studied street violence and the attitudes of those who perpetrate it since the year 2000. He does so by actually interviewing those who commit crimes to better understand why. I work in a lot of the neighborhoods that are traditionally viewed as quote-unquote problematic. I'm going to use the quote-unquote thing because I, I keep wanting to remind people these are actually neighborhoods where people live uh, on a daily basis and not everyone who lives in these places are criminals or gang members. But clearly there are issues in these neighborhoods. And the behaviors that you see amongst individuals in those neighborhoods, just the tip of the iceberg, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that we should be focused on. His research is meant to offer a nuanced understanding of why street violence happens in Atlanta. But after he was shot at that Home Depot, no matter how many times he insisted that he was simply at the wrong place, wrong time, the irony of a scholar who studies violent crime becoming a victim of violent crime made Tapali an unwitting symbol for how even Atlanta's richest neighborhood wasn't safe. That neighborhood is Buckhead. The increased violence sparking calls from an Atlanta neighborhood to break free from the city amid a surge in crime. At the time, there was a small, though increasingly vocal movement for Buckhead to secede from the city of Atlanta. It was spearheaded by Bill White, a New York transplant who had relocated in 2018. We are going to be forming Buckhead City. We are going to establish our new police force. And we're going to bring Buckhead City back to safety and prosperity. And that's the best way that we can honor the sacrifices that are going on in our beautiful community. White said that he represented residents who felt they weren't seeing much of a return for their taxpayer dollars, not in their public schools, public works, or crucially, their police force. White and his supporters argued that Buckhead needed its own police force to eradicate crime. A couple things happened that really irked me, and that was that some of these Buckhead secessionists started using me as an example and saying, well, look, you know, here's this white, middle-aged professor who lives in a nice neighborhood, and if it could happen to him, it could happen to anyone. But Tapali has done the research. In Atlanta, the odds of something like this happening to someone like him are minuscule. If you're young, if you're black, if you're male, this is the number one way you die between the ages of 14 and 24. That's where the emphasis should really be. I mean, the people in Buckhead aren't the ones that should be complaining about violence. It's the people who live in South Atlanta, because that's where the homicides take place. That's where the murders take place. And if you want to talk about your tax dollars not providing you a return on investment in safety, it's the people who are in South Atlanta. And, and make no mistake, you may be poor, but you're still paying taxes if you live down there. That's been the case for a long time. Tapali says that between the mid-90s and late 2000s, when the Atlanta Housing Authority raised Jonesboro South and all of the city's other housing projects, police figured that crime would disperse. But that's not what happened. One of the things that I warned the police department about was, hey, they're getting rid of all the public housing, and you guys think that these folks are going to move to, you know, Clayton County and College Park and all that, but a lot of them are going to end up in Cleveland Avenue, and there are already guys there on Cleveland Avenue doing their own business, selling their own stuff, um, you know, in their own sort of provincial gang sets, and it's going to create some violence there. And, and they kind of poo-pooed and said, nah, 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 they're all going to disperse, and we're going to fix the crime problem in Atlanta by doing this. Turns out they were wrong. What exactly is gang activity like in Georgia neighborhoods like Cleveland Avenue? Experts say it's unlike what you've heard about gangs before. And police argue that Young Thug's stance in the city shows just how complicated these dynamics are. 
I'm music journalist Christina Lee. And I'm crime and politics reporter George Cheedy. This is King Slime. The prosecution of Young Thug and YSL. probably know about Bloods and Crips, two rival street gangs that started in Los Angeles. Both gangs have a presence in Atlanta, and they operate in sets. There's no such thing as a generic Blood or Crip. Gang members belong to groups like the Piru Bloods or the Roland 60s Crips, which then have local chapters. Atlanta has lots of gang sets with roots in New York, Chicago, and other places. Gangster Disciples, Sex Money Murder, Nine Trey. But gang life in Atlanta is different. Here are two views. The inside perspective. Chuck C. from the Throwback Boys, Atlanta, Southside, Zone 3, Jonesboro South. And the law enforcement perspective. I'm investigator Kimberly Underwood. Been a gang detective for the last 14 years here at Atlanta Police Department. First, a man who has led a full life. His real name is Emery Cordell Carter, but he still goes by his rap alias, Chuck C. For an interview, he has on a black Miami Heat cap, square glasses, and a crisp white polo shirt buttoned all the way up. A gold tooth flashes when he smiles. In his home studio, he's flanked by photos and memorabilia of the Throwback Boys, his Atlanta rap group that found some regional success in the early 2000s. Their signature song was called Stacks on Deck. It's a lot of people in the record business, but they haven't made a record, <laughs> right? So this was our record right here. But he's also surrounded by the more pedestrian trappings of the North Carolina suburb he now calls home. A store-bought painted sign is propped up next to a lava lamp. It reads, live, laugh, love. What I live, live, love, and laugh. And the words faith and love are spelled out in block letters over a window. Chuck C. used to be a gangster dealing drugs in the street. He's a street minister now. I'm 50, right? So I got a long history, right? I used to be, you know, heavy in the streets. That's why I do street ministry, because, you know, God brought me out of the streets just to send me back to the streets to let the other people know that they can come out too. He's grown into a keen observer, not just of the street, but of Atlanta's musical legacy. He also co-hosts a podcast called Atlanta Rap History, which makes him uniquely qualified to speak on the issues we are delving into, and one of the few people who feels safe doing it. Because I'm out of it. Detective Underwood, however, is still very much in the middle of it. I was one of the hand-selected people that were voluntold to come over here and, and handle this problem back in 2009. <laughs> who voluntold you? Uh the commanders here at the Atlanta Police Department. <laughs> like, I grew up in Atlanta, but I had no idea what gangs were. So I had to learn because I didn't know. We're at Atlanta's police headquarters in the office of Captain Ralph Wolfick, assistant commander of the Special Enforcement Section of the Atlanta Police. That includes the city's gang unit. While we're getting settled in the room, we notice a poster board attached to a filing cabinet behind us in the crowded room. It has the names and background details of six gang members. I recognize two of the names from the YFN and YSL indictments. And the fact they got Kelvin Watts on a thing speaks to what the hell is what their prior, that's not, that's been there forever. Like, they didn't just put that up. That's interesting as hell. In the late 90s, Detective Underwood joined APD as a beat cop in Atlanta's Police Zone 3, which includes Cleveland Avenue. She then moved to the department's fledgling gang unit as a detective in 2009. Underwood knows the city's gang history well and how it has captured the public's attention. Back in the 80s, when the crack epidemic hit Atlanta, 
We had gangs that came together, but they were drug gangs. So BMF was one of the biggest groups that came to Atlanta, and it was mainly the drug sales. BMF, the Black Mafia family, was a notorious cocaine gang that started in Detroit. By the 90s, it made its way to Atlanta. They came together to sell drugs, and they might do stuff like the prostitution or the liquor houses or the gambling or whatever, but the violence actually started from our groups in Atlanta around the crack epidemic. BMF formed a promotional agency and music label called BMF Entertainment. It was connected with artists like Jay-Z, T.I., and Young Jeezy before the DEA broke it up and arrested its leaders in 2005. At its height, BMF brought elephants, tigers, and ice sculptures to its club parties. The agency would also literally advertise its services, with billboards that read, the world is BMFs. But most of Atlanta street gangs aren't quite this flashy or disconnected. We look at hybrids mostly. Back when I started in 2009, most of my hybrid gangs were from different parts of Atlanta, may it be. Back when we had public housing, we had like the Bourne Homes or the Mechanicsville or... Carver Homes, each of those neighborhoods had hybrid gangs, which were mainly neighborhood-based groups that came together. And sometimes they called themselves a gang and sometimes they didn't. But we, you know, looked at them as gangs because they were doing the criminal gang activity. What exactly were we talking about when we were talking about a hybrid gang? Non-traditional. Our traditional gangs been around since gangship started back in the 60s, 70s, what have you, Crip Bloods, Vice Lords, you know, all the traditional gangs. So they're not traditional. So that's why we call them non-traditional or hybrid, meaning that they don't have the same rules, regulations, sometimes colors. Like traditional gangs are not going to mix and match identifiers, which hybrids will. The hybrids and the non-traditional are a little bit more reckless because they don't have that leadership. Police say Zone 3 is full of different hybrid gangs. A lot of our blood sets here derive from the United Blood Nation out of New York, New Jersey. So we have our Sex Money Murder Bloods, our Nine Trade Bloods, our One Eight Trades and all that. So to me, Atlanta is dominated by Bloods. Crips are very far and few. That domination has even impacted how locals like Chuck C. refer to Cleveland Avenue. In the city of Atlanta, Southside, Zone 3, Cleveland Avenue. Cleveland Avenue. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's real. Like, people walk around. I mean, they talk about Cleveland Avenue. They call it Cleveland Avenue. Yes, from I-75 to Jonesboro Road, that part of Cleveland Avenue will be called Cleveland Avenue. Tell us why. Uh, because it's dominated by blood sets, and bloods don't use the word C, they use the word B, so they replace anything that starts with a C, Cleveland Avenue, they replace it with a B, Cleveland Avenue. The Fulton County District Attorney, Fonnie Willis, used the term Cleveland herself in a press conference about this case. Me and the mayor and the police chief have talked about the fact that Cleveland in our community is referred to as Cleveland, that it is somewhere where just violence occurs, where they're marking up territory, it's blood territory. Um, it's horrible. Just before Bloods came to dominate Atlanta, though, police say that a hybrid gang named Raised on Cleveland, or Rock Crew, emerged in Zone 3. So I do know that the Sex, Money, Murder, Blood sets did go over to Cleveland and organize my Rock Crew members. When discussing Atlanta's storied gang history, that, Rock Crew, is where Young Thug fits into all this. There's a YouTube video from the same year Detective Underwood joined the APD gang unit, 2009. It shows an adolescent named Lil Jeff hanging out with a group of friends in the parking lot of a city park. Lil Jeff sits on the dented hood of what appears to be a Silver Fort Escort. In case you missed that, Lil Jeff's friends call him the king of white boy swaggin' for his clothing choices. In the video, Lil Jeff is wearing tight jeans sagged down low and a red varsity jacket with white sleeves that reads Bama on the left side of his chest. His smile flashes a mouthful of crooked teeth before he starts his retort. 
<laughs> Nip, the only I know take cameras in, take pictures in his camera phone and he don't got a camera do it, phone. Do what he do. Oh, do, what he do, real, do what he do, Joe. Little Jeff is Jeffrey Williams before he would take the name Young Thug. The camera pans over to another man in the group sitting on a stone wall on the edge of a playground. Yeah, we down here, they paw kicking it, man, every day. Little Monte right here, man. Did you catch that? He said of the rock crew. Chuck C., Atlanta police, and the district attorney's indictment all say that Young Thug's gang ties go back to his teenage years when Detective Underwood first encountered him. He wasn't Young Thug when I met him. He was Jeffrey Williams. He was a part of a hybrid gang, Rock Crew. Detective Underwood says the gang unit would follow Rock Crew closely. Back when I started the investigations, we had a lot of um, ATM thefts around the Cleveland Avenue neighborhood. We knew for a fact that Rock Crew were involved. And uh, it's rumors that, you know, they used the proceeds from the actual uh, ATM theft to get into the studio and blow up. So the criminal activity starts, and then they build their way up. Because you have to put money into the studios to actually, you know, become rappers. For what it's worth, that is what I've heard. In past interviews I've done with Dundeal, he told me that he wouldn't charge Young Thug for studio time off Spring Street. That's how much Dundeal believed in his potential. Regardless, Young Thug's early mixtape output would boast those same affiliations that investigator Underwood found in song after song. Jungle, off his debut mixtape, I Came From Nothing. Zanman. Achieve. Curtains. Go harder than y'all. Our bars. My time. And in Stoner. That breakout radio hit that he recorded with Dundeal from episode one. R.O.B. in this song is referring to Rock Crew when they were calling themselves Raised On Bleveland. SMM is Sex Money Murder. YSL is what we're talking about now. All of them, police say, are gangs. And all of them are allegedly Bloods affiliated. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia, starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. 
Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Rourke, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Suxi doesn't just understand street life, he's lived it. He's not just an expert on Atlanta rap history either, he's a part of it. And on top of all of that, he's intertwined in Young Thug's personal story. I knew him as a kid, his Lil' Jeff, right? Because his dad is my friend. His dad is a close friend of mine. In fact, Young Thug's dad, Jeffrey Williams Sr., used to be a road manager for the Throwback Boys. And Chuck was tight with the whole family. I actually lived with them at a certain amount of time. And he was a, he was a kid, and he wanted to get into this rap thing. You know, if you look back at the pictures, right, you could see that he was just a regular average kid. But once he started making music, people started to gravitate towards him. That house was packed to the brim. Young Thug is one of 11 siblings. When I was standing over there, he was probably about 10 10 or 11. Most street people are naturally good guys, and most street people are especially good guys in the house around their mom. So my relationship with him was a lot of in the house, around the mom. So he was a very, very good kid. You know, bright kid, mischievous once he got outside and got with his friends. But for the most part, he was a good guy. Yet, by then, Trouble had also found the younger Jeffrey Williams. Or he found Trouble. He told Rolling Stone magazine in 2014, quote, I was going to school so my dad and mom would keep buying me clothes, but when I got out, I did what I wanted to do, fighting, all kinds of stuff, unquote. In that same interview, Young Thug claimed he got into a fight with a teacher at his middle school and broke the teacher's arm, took his ass out, pussy ass, he's quoted as saying. He says he was kicked out of middle school and spent the next four years in a juvenile detention facility from 7 a.m. until 6 in the evening and that he was out in the streets by the time he was eight or nine years old, which is a typical age for kids in Zone 3 to group up, according to Chuck C. It starts in elementary school because it's about the people that I'm going to school with, right? We forming a bond, right? See, people think gangs is a hate thing when gangs is actually a love thing, right? Meaning, these are my friends. I grew up with them. I love them. We're brothers. So if you mess with him, then you messing with me. Right? So then this follows you. This follows you on. Then we move up, sixth grade. Now it's not necessarily about protection, but now we're trying to get us some money. Right? So now we're a different type of gang, right? We're, a, we're a hust- what you would call a hustler gang, right? We're trying to get money. High school. Now we're not about necessarily fighting because you bothering us, but now we're fighting for territory, right? You can't sell here. There's a lot of money to be made here, so we go take this over. In this particular part of Atlanta rap history, though, concerning Young Thug, dividing lines between sets got even more dotted and complicated, especially when individual rappers allegedly tied to various Atlanta blood gangs began to achieve superstardom. One of those breakouts is Ray Sean Bennett from an Atlanta neighborhood called Summerhill. Bennett became the rapper YFN Lucci. Young Thug and Lucci came up in the music industry at the same time. Their local cliques, YFN in Summerhill, YSL in Cleveland Avenue, 
were friendly and social once upon a time. At one time, Zone 3, we was a close-knit group. We was very close-knit. Lucci and, and Thug was friends at one time. But today, that era in Atlanta's rap history feels like a distant memory. As I was keeping up with Atlanta's rap scene, I figured that the beef between Young Thug and YFN and Lucci was strictly social media antics. And most music journalism outlets would pinpoint the beef's origins to 2017, when Young Thug released his album Beautiful Thugger Girls. This is the album featuring Young Thug on the cover, hunching over an acoustic guitar. That ultimately paved the way for the country trap direction that Lil Nas X took with his own breakout song, Old Town Road. But at the time, Young Thug was so proud of how that collection of music turned out, he tweeted that he was the next Tupac Shakur. YFN Lucci immediately fired back, saying that Tupac never would have worn a dress. Referring to that Alessandra Jacone dress that Young Thug wore on the cover of his previous album, Jeffrey. There was more petty back and forth. Like when Young Thug said that he slapped YFN Lucci on sight. When YFN Lucci claimed to have slept with Young Thug's longtime girlfriend. Or when Lucci was showing off his latest jewelry haul on Instagram and Young Thug commented that his kids' collection was better than this shit. There were more heated exchanges. Like in 2019, when Lucci took issue with Young Thug's song, Just How It Is. Young Thug raps about an incident taking place at Atlanta's posh Lenox Square Mall. But YFN Lucci insisted on Instagram that Young Thug was lying and almost shitted himself instead. What Young Thug posted next was the sort of comment that sent shock-faced emojis flying in the group text. That, if he didn't like how Lucci treated his mother and kids, quote, I would have been killed you. Police say there was an even longer buildup to the YFN and YSL indictments, and that the street war wasn't exclusively between its marquee artists. Martinez Arnold, the rapper YSL Lil Duke, and a YSL defendant, was arrested for allegedly shooting at a Lenox Mall employee named Michael Castellini on September 18th, 2014. You can see quite a few Atlanta police officers right outside of the mall area. They have put police tape up. We are getting reports that there were shots fired somewhere in this area. We are all... He pleaded guilty to reckless conduct on the case. APD claims the shooting was a result of an ongoing fight between Arnold and YFN gang affiliates. Then, another YSL defendant, Demekian Garlington, got shot at a nightclub owned by the rapper T.I. called Club Crucial. And on January 5th, 2015, a Monday night, a man named Kenneth Copeland was fresh out of prison. He headed to Club Crucial. He reportedly pulled out a wad of cash, which would have been a red flag to any rivals inside the building. It was about posturing, about saying, I'm better than you. I got more people than you. I have more jewelry than you. We bring out money. That's where you get the term stacks on deck, meaning my money is on me. I got the stacks on me. We in the club showing our money, right? Because this is how we show our enemies that we're bigger and better than them. Police say that Kelvin Watts attempted to rob Copeland that night, tried to take his whole stack. Copeland is an alleged YSL affiliate known as Lil Woody. Watts, known as Shell Kell, is allegedly part of another blood set, the Inglewood family, which police suspect is connected to YFN. Watts' name does not appear in the YSL indictment, and Copeland's name only once, briefly. However, in an affidavit for a search warrant filed in 2016, APD gang unit investigators say they, quote, believe this altercation at Club Crucial incited the gang war, unquote. And that gang war led to Donovan Thomas's death. Chuck C. agrees. I would definitely say that was the first domino. Music journalists would take much longer to wonder whether the tensions between Young Thug and YFN Lucci weren't exclusively between them. In August 2020, Lucci says that at Lenox Mall, he ran into a YSL artist, Diamante Kendrick, the rapper Yak Gotti. But then in the parking lot, without warning, Yak Gotti posed for Instagram standing on the trunk of Lucci's blue Mercedes Maybach as a playing king of the hill. 
He'd even use that same picture as single artwork for his 2020 song in the coop. At the time, there seemed to be no good explanation for what Yak Gotti did. Today, however, the YSL indictment says that this social media stunt was an act between rival gangs. The indictment also points to instances where this rivalry could have turned deadly once more. Like at Fulton County Jail, where three jailed YSL defendants, Khalif Adams, Tebekian Garlington, and Jaden Myrick, allegedly attempted to stab YFN Lucci, their fellow inmate, with a shank. Or two weeks later, when two more YSL defendants behind bars, Christian Eppinger and Antonio Sumlin, allegedly conspired to try to kill YFN Lucci one more time, though not without seeking Young Thug's permission first. If the indictments check out, they would speak to a phenomenon that Vulcan Topoli has observed. When it comes to gangs, I mean, there's definitely a kind of a, an ethic of, you know, you've got to respond no matter what to any form of being dissed or any kind of disrespect that comes from a business deal that's gone bad, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, the, the problem is that their, their method of engaging in social control has to do with using violence and force. And it's inevitable that it's going to spread when you've got combatants that don't see a bright future for themselves and know that, you know, it's a it's a killer be killed kind of a world out there. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. Every week, we'll pick a new song from the list and talk about their placement on the revamped 2021 list. We'll also have guests join us, ranging from the artists themselves to the producers or simply other writers like ourselves who voted on them. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern-day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside and Britney Spears' Baby One More Time. There's so many fascinating stories that have been forgotten, like Midnight Train to Georgia starting with a phone call to Farrah Fawcett, or how the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs inspired Kelly Clarkson's banger Since You've Been Gone and Beyonce's Hold Up. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways I imagine you haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Margaret Atwood, Questlove, Kate Blanchett, and Oscar Isaac. If that sounds like a varied group of people, it's because it is. I always wanted to make a show where one week we could sit with a politician like Beto or Wark, the next an author like Min Jin Lee, or TV titans like Bill Hader and Quinta Brunson. Basically, this is a podcast driven by curiosity and an abundance of research. Conversations where people actually start to sound like people. In recent weeks, I sat with Dan Levy, Ava DuVernay, Benny Safdie, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I hope to see you there. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. 
I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I've lived in Atlanta for half as long as Volcan Tapali. I'm not nearly as well-versed in Atlanta crime, the data gaps that exist when exploring that issue, and the way that Atlanta can actually prevent crime and not just prosecute it. Thousands of people show up at Grady every year with gunshot wounds and knife wounds, and most of them survive, partly because Grady's so damn good at what it does, but also because, you know, sometimes a flesh wound's just a flesh wound. Not all of them stay there very long. As a matter of fact, a lot of the folks that get shot can't wait to get out. And why is that? It's because they want to get out and find the person who shot them and retaliate. Doesn't it make sense that we have programs that are an intervention right there at the hospital, right? Yet, when we interviewed Tapala this past spring on campus at Georgia State, I was struck by how much his basic understanding of Atlanta overlapped with my own as someone who's covered the local hip-hop scene. Through our respective research, we both come to know Atlanta as the nation's capital for income inequality for the past decade at least. Depending on what study you read, Atlanta's top income brackets make anywhere between 9 to 20 times more than the city's lowest income brackets. Experts say that Atlanta has the dubious honor of having the highest inequality of any major city in the U.S. because of its, quote, entrenched racial disparities. You need a car to navigate its frustrating sprawl. That was by design. We're going to get a brand new system of highways, roads, and streets in this country. Interstates built in the 50s and 60s literally bulldozed through Black communities. Over this network, you'll be able to drive from border to border or coast to coast without ever seeing a traffic stoplight. Leading to white flight that has concentrated middle-class living to just outside Atlanta city limits. It will really unite all of our United States. And so for communities like Cleveland Avenue, economic opportunity literally feels out of reach. How well do you know Cleveland Avenue? I know Cleveland Avenue really well, actually. I spent a lot of time there. Um, You know, Cleveland Avenue is a really interesting example of a place that has always been problematic because of where it's located. It's, you know, the south of the city. It's sort of cut off from a lot of the routes of commerce that we might be more interested in, a lot of empty land there. It was always low-grade violent, low-grade problematic because of its location and the lack of investment in, in that area. But I think that the removal of public housing accelerated all of that. The assembly was, well, you force people to move, what you'll end up doing is disrupting the um, territories that these individuals have for drug selling. And it did work at the beginning, as you would expect, right? I mean, if you disrupt uh, the normal patterns of behavior, you're going to get a, a, a drop in criminal activity. But what happens is it bounces back up again in places where you don't expect it. So you've actually imposed a kind of a whack a mole situation on yourself. Tapali's work entails, among other noble endeavors, interviewing non-incarcerated individuals to understand what might motivate them to commit a crime. He talks to people on the street and in the street game. He pays his interview subjects for their time. It's through this work that he's come across and studied and written about this attitude that has become so pervasive in rap music in recent years. What scholars call a sense of futurelessness or accepting that you'll likely die young. I've done this, I'd say, probably a hundred times, and and it has never failed to come out with the same result. I can give you 50 bucks right now. I'll tell you what, though. You come back here in a month, I'll give you 200. Not once, not once has one of them said, yeah, I'll come back in the month. And when I've asked them why not, they've said, I want that money today. I don't even know if I'm going to be around in, in a month. That short-term outlook pushes many of these individuals to look for quick and easy ways to make money. So you're either going to be an independent operator on the street hustling day to day to day to day to day, or, you know, here's a group of people that you can connect with, you can identify with, that seem to have a kind of a plan. There's some positive reinforcement in there. Um, You're learning by watching their lives, and you're saying, hey, you know, they're kind of making it. They're driving around with a nice car. They've got some jewelry on. they got some girls. They're spending time at the club. I like doing those things. In places like Cleveland Avenue, the opportunity to speak with Tapali for research might not be enough reason to see a bright future for yourself. 
And with that sense of futurelessness abound, victims like Donovan Thomas become perfect examples of that system of retaliation and counter-retaliation to Polly was referencing earlier when talking about Grady Hospital. I ripped you off, you shot at me, then my boys go to your neighborhood, they shoot at you, back and forth and back and forth. And when I've described this to uninitiated audiences, one of the first things that some people say is, good, let them kill each other. You know, I mean, if they do, then we don't have to worry about arresting them. We don't have to spend money on courts. You know, it's a very kind of harsh kind of kind of attitude that they have about this. What I point out to them, however, is the fact that they are trapped in this cycle of retaliation and counter-retaliation with each other does not mean that other people can't get hurt. You know, if you and I have a beef, I rip you off, then you retaliate against me, then I get pissed off at you, or maybe you kill me and then my cousin gets pissed off. Now we've drawn my cousin in. And maybe he comes after you, but now you know that I'm after you. So you make sure that you walk around with three or four of your friends. Now we brought your three or four friends in. And then you take a shot at my house. Well, you, it turns out it's not my house. It turns out it's my aunt's house. And, you know, the bullet hit my three-year-old niece or my aunt or something like that. So these third parties get drawn into the conflicts, whether they, in some cases, they want to because it's about sticking together and protecting your friends and your cousins and your brothers. In other cases, it's you catch a bullet. I caught a bullet. I'm that third party. I'm the leakage. Studio time, on the other hand, points to brighter, more hopeful prospects. I would say at least half the guys I talk to think that there's a future in music for them. And that when I ask them, what do you need the money for? You know, they'll talk about, oh, I got to pay bills or I just want to go out to the club. But a lot of them will say, I got to buy studio time. And so, you know, there's clearly something aspirational about the music industry for them. Dundeal, the producer who worked with Young Thug from episode one, told us this. The group of people that I've worked with, almost 50 to 60 percent of the people that came to my studio at the beginning became something in the music industry. Really? Yeah. So Polly thinks that statistic could use a caveat. The number of people who can get attention from someone like him who does hold the keys is tiny. When you say 50 or 60%, it's it's not 50 or 60% of everyone who wants to be successful. It's 50 or 60% of the people who are able to make it to him. And then whether the 50 or 60% is realistic or not, and what it means to have said, you know, say, I made it, does making it mean that you have a hit song, a hit album, that you've, you've got the length of your career, you know, I think that needs to be kind of unpacked a little bit more. But regardless of what the actual statistical likelihood is, that hope just has to be high enough for people to chase it. Both Tapali and Chuck C. have seen how a success story like Young Thug can be highly motivational nonetheless. The guys who are down from that area, you know, they do see him as like, there's a guy who made it and now people are trying to tear him down. And what else did you expect him to do? They're like, yeah, I know that, you know, he's breaking the law and all this kind of stuff, but he's trying to get his. I got nothing but love for him, is what I hear a lot of those guys say. Man, Young Thug is the young people's champ. He's known worldwide. Young Thug, as the artist, is known worldwide. But in the city of Atlanta, Southside, Zone 3, Bleveland Avenue, he's the people's champ. In 2014, the city of Atlanta got a homegrown instant classic. That song was called Lifestyle. Just this past Memorial Day, Lifestyle was the first song my neighbors in Southwest Atlanta played as they fired up the grill. The song remains a summer anthem in the city, as it was for the country when it first dropped. It became a top 20 hit in a matter of months. It would eventually go platinum, and its success would officially certify Young Thug as the future of Atlanta rap. Here's Joe Coscarelli, culture reporter for The New York Times, who you heard from in episode one. Because of the rise of streaming and the way YouTube is working at the time, Lifestyle becomes this huge hit and it's this crossover success. So Young Thug all of a sudden is not only this underground curio, but he's also a mainstream hit maker. And it's at that moment that I think Young Thug is able to really brand his own business. Lifestyle is built a rich gang, which bears some explanation. Rich Gang is the brainchild of a label impresario, Brian Birdman Williams. Williams and his brother, Robert Slim Williams, had previously co-founded one of Southern hip-hop's most influential labels, Cash Money. From Cash Money came Young Money, 
an imprint founded by Lil Wayne, Cash Money's most well-known signee, and Young Thug's musical idol. Rich Gang isn't a group with a set lineup. It's more like a franchise that has featured members of a growing Southern hip-hop dynasty. The first iteration of Rich Gang was a sprawling collective that featured Nicki Minaj. But at the time, Rich Gang was a duo, featuring Young Thug and another Atlanta rapper, Rich Homie Kwan. That's how, on Memorial Day weekend that year, as seen in a whirlwind video recap on World Star Hip Hop, Young Thug ends up aboard a yacht in Miami. Birdman presents him with two chains, the words Rich Gang spelled out in glittering gems. Young Thug is grateful. You can hear him shout out two of Birdman's signature hits, number one Stunna and 100 Million in the process. Yeah, man, we're giving a real deal, special shout out to Stunna, man. You did know what I'm saying? Without him, we wouldn't be right on this motherfucking yacht. So, 100 million dollar yacht, you did know what I'm trying to say? His thank you speech continues. We wouldn't be right here. I got one of the biggest bloods in America with me, my You did. Atlanta, Georgia. It's hard to make out, but Young Thug says, quote, I've got one of the biggest bloods in America with me. Young Thug then extends his arm and pushes the camera to his right to focus on the man sitting next to him on his cell phone. That man is Donovan Thomas. Thomas looks into the lens and flashes what appears to be several gang signs. What business did Donovan nut Thomas, the man who reportedly said Thug had me killed moments before he passed, possibly have aboard that yacht? Depends on who you ask. Before Thomas died, he helped jumpstart YFN Lucci's music career. That bond is why, in 2017, Lucci named his debut EP Long Live Nut. This is what Lucci told me at the time. So I've heard you say Long Live Nut. I know he was a long-term friend of yours, but who exactly was he? Um, that was one of my closest friends. His name's Shell. Uh, he and Shell, that's his brother. And he was, he was his big brother. And basically, you know, Nut was just like, a big brother to all of us, man, you know. Shell was like, boy, Nut love your music. Ooh, you got to go meet Nut, bro. Stuff like that. Man, Nut. Nut was rocking with all my old stuff, new stuff, everything. So it was like, you know, he just made me feel like I was that star already. So he was telling you this before, like, you officially released anything? Yeah, right. Like, before I dropped anything. Man. He used to tell me shit like, well, you going to be rich in 10 months. <laughs> 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 but... As police allege, their connections run even deeper than music. The YFN is like a umbrella, a bunda Inglewood family, which is a traditional gang. Donovan Thomas was an Inglewood family blood. Chuck C. tells us that Donovan Nut Thomas was in prime position within these factions. Unlike investigator Underwood, Chuck C. actually knew Thomas before he died. So where does Donovan Thomas fit in all of this? Man, rest in peace. He was the big homie. No kidding. Uh, anybody that had anything to do with the red side, he was the big homie. He was the one that got the blessing from California. Wait, what do you mean by that? Okay, I hope I ain't saying too much, but listen. So, <laughs> blood is um, a L.A. thing, right? Blood is a L.A. thing. Bloods was anything that was anti-crip came together and formed bloods in the early in the seventies, right? So, so the whole term blood comes from L.A. So to be official, right, to be official, you have to be blessed from somebody from the motherland, which is L.A., right? Nut was blessed from the motherland, right, to be able to plant the flag in Atlanta. Above all else, Donovan Thomas was a connector, and investigator Underwood thinks that Thomas was a connector till the very end of his life. He even tried to de-escalate the beef between Young Thug and YFN Lucci. He was one of those guys that took care of the neighborhood. He made sure kids had haircuts. He made sure, you know, kids had tennis shoes and that kind of stuff. And from the rumors and the street committee, I heard that he was one of those guys that tried to squash the beef. He tried. He knew that it was beef. He knew that it was brewing. Once upon a time, such mutual connections might have been enough to diffuse the tension between these rising rap stars. After all, they repped for Zone 3. What happened instead is that the death of Donovan Thomas split Atlanta's blood sets into two warring factions, those who sided with Thomas and YFN and those who sided with YSL. 
unfortunately, they're two blood sets, but they uh, started this long-standing beef because of the murder of Donovan Thomas. Neighborhood ties can run deep. Family ties, even deeper. But in the current state of Atlanta's gang wars, blood ties can't compare. In this case, the same man who sat next to Young Thug aboard that yacht would die the next year, allegedly by Thug's doing. Whenever I talk to people about Donovan Thomas, I get this real sense of Thomas as a person. Like, everybody seems to want to describe him as soft-spoken and affable and friendly. And I can imagine people reacting very strongly to seeing him killed on a street corner. Yeah, because it's a love thing, man. My son has his name tattooed on him because he loves him. That's right. Chuck C.'s son has Donovan Thomas's nickname inked on his temple. My son has R.I.P. Nut right here tattooed on his face. This is my son, <laughs> right? This is, he's my son. He has the same name as me. He's Emory Cornell Carter III. He's my son. But he has another man's t- name tattooed on him because of the love that he has for this man. Right? And the same with the other people that's that's out there. They have love for this guy. So when they see the person that took away their loved one, anger comes in, right? If I'm angry and I'm intoxicated and I have a weapon, I'm liable to make a bad decision. So it's not like this was some ingrown hatred, right? It was an incident that happened. And when this happened, then something else had to happen, then something else had to happen, then something else had to happen. Because in the streets, retaliation is a must. Next on King Slime, we dig deeper into what is already shaping up to be the longest, craziest criminal trial that Georgia has ever seen. YSL is a music label and a game. Yes, ma'am. What makes this trial particularly extraordinary? I told you they're going to get you. Who, Doug? Yeah, I told you. Like the police? Yeah, I said the police going to get you. You don't care. Keep it. We speak to attorneys from both sides of the YSL trial. Public defenders who say that YSL isn't a gang, and Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis. It's so interesting you talk about snitching. Everybody hard, right? Till they sitting in that seat. Slime is a production of iHeart Podcasts and Heirloom Media. It's written and produced by George Chidi, Christina Lee, and Tommy Andres. Mixing, sound design, and original music by Evan Tyre and Taylor Shacoin. The executive producer and editor is Tommy Andres. Fact-checking by Kaylin Lynch. Our theme music is produced by Doug Deal. Special thanks to the Atlanta News outlets 11 Alive, WSB-TV, Atlanta News First, and Fox 5. And to Chuck C. and the Throwback Boys for the use of their song, Stacks on Deck. For more shows from iHeart Podcasts, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. 
I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. My whole life, I've been told this one story about my family, about how my great-great-grandmother was killed by the mafia back in Sicily. I was never sure if it was true, so I decided to find out. And even though my Uncle Jimmy told me I'd only be making the vendetta worse, I'm going to Sicily anyway. Come to Italy with me to solve this 100-year-old murder mystery. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.